Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Voices Behind the Game. I'm Jeremy Roberts, and it's 2019. Happy New Year. We wanted to dive into the ever constant controversy, it seems, around officiating, especially in basketball. So our first voice behind the game is a former Division I college official, Mr. Brent Smith. Brent is a great guy with a ton of experience and great perspective on officiating and what it's like to actually be the guy standing in the middle of the arena with 18,000 people raining booze on you because you just made a terrible call. And I think you'll be surprised by the perspective that Brent has because it's a great one and it's not necessarily what we think as fans when it comes to officiating. Brent has awesome perspective on what it, how he got into officiating, what it takes to be a good official, uh, what it takes to be a bad official. Not everybody can do that job and what it means to have some of the best officials in the world. I know that you'll enjoy this episode and you'll certainly enjoy listening to uh, the interview that we did with Brent, uh, where it's just uh, Dan and myself. Uh, Trip is on vacation over the holidays, so uh, Dan and I grabbed the microphone and interviewed Brent. So pull up a chair and turn up your radio or whatever you're listening to, your phone, and enjoy the next hour with Mr. Brent Smith here on Voices Behind the Game. I'm doing well. Yeah. Well, well, good. Well, uh, <laughs> thank you for persevering with us on uh, on doing this, Brent. I uh, I, I can't remember, Dad, if I told you that, but uh, the last time I messed up the time because I brilliantly, as a travel agent, figured that Arizona was still on. You know, they don't observe daylight savings time, and so you know, I thought that they're on were, our time right they now. They are on our time. Yes. <laughs> I, see, Brent, if I, dads always know best. <laughs> If I just would have talked to my dad, then he would have known. <laughs> so, do you listen to podcasts, Brent? I mean, have you... Uh, I've listened to all... I hadn't really too much. Well, I, I'm kind of a political animal, so I listen to a bunch of political ones. But I started listening to yours since your invite, and it's uh, been very interesting. Well, thank you. And so, <laughs> I'm starting to figure out what you're doing. <laughs> well, it's... We're just, this is a very casual conversation, and uh, that's the best part about it. It's uh, our whole goal with our podcast is to, to, to get behind the scenes and, more importantly, get to know people and uh, that share their experiences of you know, sports and life, you know, kind of intertwining right. the two. And uh, so we're actually, there's no formal, formal intro. Uh, we're, we're actually recording right now. So, that's the the best part about it is that this is it's literally like having a, a we're 
we're having a, the proverbial beer, which you could be having. We're just we're having seltzer water, and I'm having Jamba Juice. <laughs> so. I, I'm holding off for a while, but if you hear a cork pulled a little while later, you'll know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's cool. That Music was, to my ears. Actually, say, yeah, that's was, good. Yeah, just like make that. my dad start drooling. <laughs> so yeah, that was one, one thing I've noticed that, like I say, listen to all your your podcast is is you're saying it's behind the scenes and, and it's from all different angles, you know, players and coaches and announcers and now referees. And what I'm finding is, is there's this, this same thread that runs through all of them, like, like the same kind of stories. Like, um, you know, it's, it's just really been interesting to me to find out the commonality between all the different people behind these sports. Yeah. And that's a great point. It's, um, uh, the I have the commonality is the the humanity of it the humanism uh, that people bring to the game that I think two games you know two sports or really anything in life but it, since our medium is sports uh, bringing their personalities into and in, in observing what they see uh, and and relaying that um, which is cool that's what we love about this is we get a you know. My, my dad's had so much, just like you, so much experience in seeing so so many different types of sports throughout, you know, his life, and it makes it fun to he, for me to hear everybody's perspective as well because I I have my own, but to get like yours and my dad's with such a deep analysis of things has been really cool. I just I love it. Yeah, it is good. Like I uh, I listen to your your podcast or I'm not walking my dog in the morning and just this morning I was listening to uh, uh, Brevin Knight uh-huh. and one of the things that he brought up was that how he had to change his tone that when he's speaking of different tones of the game that that some diver, uh, deserve more excitement than others and and I thought that's exactly one of the things that happens in in officiating you know you're out there refereeing a game and. And if you went along and every call was the same, it, it just wouldn't work. There's some calls that, you know, they always sell that you say that you need to sell about four calls every game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sell. And, That's a good word. I like that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you know, the kind of calls that I'm talking about. Oh, you bet. Uh, different guys do different things. You know, there can be a real nut cutting call and and some guys tend to. To, to act like it's the easiest call in the world and they can get away with it. That's the way they sell it. So every individual has their own tone. And it, uh, that was, that really hit home this morning, listening to that. It's interesting too, from my point of view, sitting as close as I do and interacting with uh, NBA guys as much as I do, that you see who has the um, proverbial um testicles dare i say in terms of making a call that is um um, you know it it's eminently controversial but they stick to it and they can't be swayed because they saw something that the rest of the crowd and and sometimes me don't see and so as a consequence the end result of, um, of of again just like what you said you have to take one or two shots at uh, total and complete obscurity, if you will, to get uh, to get you know to to do your job, and that's that's part of what we're exploring with so many different aspects of sports and putting people in a spot to talk about why they are making the game, you know, fun to watch, um, you know, maybe on their side, et cetera. Et cetera. Just a whole personality well, issue. And oh, I'll, absolutely. 
You know, it's along those lines. I, I love that. And so, Brent, talk a little bit. We want to talk a little bit about your background and uh, just kind of you know talk about back. I know you played college ball at Westminster, right? Right. Uh-huh. Okay. So you've been a basketball fan your whole life. So just take us back starting at West Mini and bring us through your, uh, your career. And then let's get back into I'd love to talk about uh, what you just mentioned about selling a call. Yeah, when, when you, you know, as a little kid, you start out and fall in love with a game like basketball and you play it and you play in high school. And then where do you go from there? Well, the next level is you have to be good enough to go to college to play it. And then you get through playing in college. And then what do you do? Then now it's uh, you got a coach. And and that's always a poor uh, replacement for playing. I can tell you that. So, <laughs> so after uh, after playing at Westminster, I, I went to uh, Brighton High School and uh, became the head coach there after a couple of years and and uh, then was fired. Uh, was not a good experience, uh, but that's way down the road. <laughs> and uh, then after sitting around moping a couple of years, got into to uh, refereeing. Did they pay out uh, your contract at Brighton or <laughs> give you hot lunches for the rest of the, your life, et cetera, et cetera, something? I, believe it or not, I stayed there and finished teaching for another uh, – like 24 years after that um, and the teaching was a wonderful career but but that was kind of the end of the basketball coaching um, uh, I had a chance to go back and, and assist uh, uh, Tom Stanky at Westminster a couple of different okay. times tremendous basketball coach and a great program and that's and, uh, uh, who the field house is named after yeah uh, it should yeah. be in fact, yeah. he, he did he did a lot of things with the jazz too uh, with uh with helping out with jerry and different as in uh, they started the summer league there the uh what's evolved now into a very large program in las vegas as well as uh, our <laughs> camp preceding las vegas began in westminster it was uh i can't remember the name of it I, what? Well, I, I can't remember what it was called then but that was actually where i announced for the first time yeah well, was I, that yeah, Westminster precisely because well, it's, like, it's funny because that i was refereeing and to that summer camp they got college officials to come and do it right that's right i remember uh, it's the rocky mountain review that's what yeah. they called uh-huh. it and i can remember there'd be so many people there the fire fire codes they wouldn't let any more people in that little tiny gym and uh oh it was wild back in those days you remember there was a night when when carl malone was playing in it and he was a rookie and he and and tom chambers got in a fight that was at east high we, that was yeah. I remember that distinctly because uh, Rains was playing as well, and uh, and Carl was uh, just you know basically being um, something that I can't say on the air, obviously. But uh, <laughs> the end result of uh, he he shoved Rains out of bounds, and Rains had the ball in his hands. He landed. He didn't knock him down or anything, but Rains took three steps and let Carl have the ball as hard as he could throw it and said, if that's what you want to do, let's go. And interestingly enough, Carl took a second look at, at Vrain's anger, plus the fact he was, you know, Vrain's was a, a fairly good-sized kid. So the end result of that was um, a, amazing conflict potential that Carl took a sidestep on. It was really amusing. I watched yep. every second of that. And the, he did the same thing to Chambers. And Chambers just looked at him and said, Carl, let's just play basketball, you know, for God's yeah. sakes. What do we – why do we have to do this? It was it, – it was at a – I trust a learning experience for him being that, you know, he was a he was a punk back then. There's no question of it. He was awfully young. And uh, I remember at that same time, uh, believe it or not, Danny Ainge came out and played. 
Oh, and really? Really? Yeah. And was this was after he? He was still playing at okay. Boston. Okay. Okay. And I can remember calling a foul on him one time, and he looked at me and he said, "I come all the way from Boston to give this league credibility here, and you call a foul." <laughs> That's an exact quote. <laughs> That's cool. I would have shown him the door based on that. Here's a technical for you too, dude. There was a great picture in the paper of him biting Tree Rollins. You could have just held that up at that point. <laughs> So, so anyway, that that was uh, his, and and I started refereeing, and I refereed seven years of high school basketball, and and my career was kind of kind of charmed because when I first started, they that was when Title Nine was first starting, and they started girls basketball, and so none of the old uh, veterans refereeing in the Salt Lake area would would touch the girls basketball with a ten foot pole. So I had all the games I wanted to work. And, and a friend of mine, uh, Brent Marriott, and I, we went throughout the state and refereed girls basketball. And I can remember you'd drive all the way to like Wendover to do two girls games. You'd do the JV and the varsity <laughs> game. Oh, wow. And the JV game was $7 and the varsity was 14 <laughs> but, That's not, but, that's not uh, even gas money, man. Oh, man, that was huge <laughs> money back then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So anyway, that was the start of it all. <laughs> and after seven years, I finally got a, a, a boys state championship game. And I thought, you know, now that I've kind of risen to the to the top tier of my own peer group, I'd like to apply for to, to do the college game. So I put in my application and as fate would have it, that's the year they went to three man mechanics. So okay. they needed to increase efficiency. And so they had a big tryout camp at the University of Utah, and they had about 80 officials from the Salt Lake and Intermountain area. And we went up there and refereed all these little, you know, junior high and, and high school kids at the summer camp. And they had all these supervisors from the different colleges, from the WAC and the Big Sky and so on, watching us. And, and out of 80 guys, I was the only one selected. Really? Wow. wow. <laughs> and... And the most amazing part of this story, and there were some really good officials and good friends and every bit as, as good, if not better, than, than I. But the guy that hired me was a guy named Dan Sherwood, who was the supervisor in the big sky. And as soon as he hired me, then then Guy Gibbs in the WAC hired me also. But anyway, he it was a few months later, and we had our, our meetings just before the season started. And he called me aside, and he says, Brent, you know why? I hired you and nobody else from that, those 80 guys. And I said, no, why? And he said there was one, he was sitting on the end of a gym and it was one of those, you know, in the PE complex where there's four or five games going on everywhere. Yeah. And there was one time I was under the basket and the ball goes out of bounds and you know, and you make your mechanics, you blow your whistle, you point, you're going this way and all that. And a little kid, about a five or six year old kid went behind the basket, picked up the ball and brought it over to me. And I looked at the little guy, said, thank you, and got the ball, you know, off we went. Well, this Dan Sherwood said, when that little kid brought you the ball and you said, thank you, he said, you were my guy. Huh. Wow. That's cool. Can, wow. That that's a, that's that, crazy. I mean, that's awesome. Isn't that a strange story? Yeah. That Well, I mean, a couple of things. I mean, number one, that that he was so observant. 
that you know that he was looking at at, at every little detail um, in in such uh, in, in such minutia, which is great because that's an official's job, right? Is to look at every right. every aspect of the game, but that he saw the 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 humanity in you, kind of what we were talking about earlier, to to just do that in a really kind way, um, which is you know it, it it makes sense to me, Brent, because you know. Uh, uh, I good friends with your son Brady. Grew up, um, you know, playing ball with Brady in your driveway on the chain net. And right. you know, one of the things that I remember about you was just your willingness to converse, to to talk with everybody in a really confident and kind way. That made it made me feel like, hey, you know, you you see what I'm doing right now as a 13, 14 year old kid, and you know, it, it made me feel good because you were you, you took the time to talk with me. It could be for 30 seconds, but it was very personal. And so that makes sense to me that um, that someone would see that. And it and it launched you really in a, in a very cool way in your career. That's that's a great story. Yeah, thank you. In fact, I was just my wife and I were just watching a movie the other night. You remember an old movie called Sliding Doors with Gwyneth Paltrow? No, I haven't. I, I'm a movie, but I haven't seen that one. You ought to watch it. It's an old. It's an older one, but it's, okay. it shows her as she's been fired from her job and she's running home to her apartment. She's like in New York, and she runs to the to the uh, subway, and just as she gets there, the subway door closes. And it shows us, shows what her life becomes when because she didn't get on the subway. Then it has a parallel story going on at the same time where she was able to jump through the door and she got on the subway. Huh. Just the difference between a door closing and opening. Mm-hmm. Sure. What happens to your life years and your, your whole life from then on out? Timing. So that was that's what I thought about with that. Thank you. How it changed our entire our whole family's lives. For sure. For sure. Because that, I mean, that was such a huge part of your life jumping into. So did you focus? Did you do both the big sky and the whack or just did you just do the whack? No, I did the whack, the big sky. Back in those days, it was called the PC2A, which was the big West conference. Okay, And uh, so virtually everything in the Intermountain West. And and then they you would go as visitor. Uh, we had some programs where we would uh, change with the Southwest. And, and like on big games like BYU and Utah, they would bring two guys from the Southwest Conference from down in Texas to do the game. And they'd send two of us to go down and do like uh, Rice and Houston. Okay. And you find out when you go into an arena, if you go in with no baggage, if they don't know who the hell you are, then they haven't got much ammunition. And, and all of a sudden, you're a lot better than the, than the old guys that they're normally right. planning on seeing. You know, you've got no baggage. Yeah, the uh, moose stoobings of the world, for instance. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I could tell you some stories. Oh, about wait. I, I had, I, when I was working at, at the U after the stars folded, uh, he, he would show up every now and then. And uh, it, was, it, it, it was so fun to give him crap. It was not hard either because he no. earned it. He earned every minute of it when he was coming to the table. So Okay, I'm going to interject here because I want Moose Stubing stories. This is like, a, <laughs> this is un, this is like 1A. You know? Get okay. to know Brent better. And then, so I'll, I'll give you a quick one that I remember because we uh, went to, you know, we'd go to goals games all the time. Yes, it was, right. So, <laughs> so Moose Stubing was uh, also a AAA manager for the Salt Lake Goals uh, baseball right. team. And 
So it was an official that that you uh, officiated with, right, Brent? Absolutely. Okay, so I remember we would always go on Sundays because there were hardly anybody there, and you could sit in the third base side on the, the wooden bleachers there. And I'm there with the, my dad and my Uncle Bruce. We're, <laughs> we're sitting there, and Moose sends somebody home on, on, a, on a pretty weak grounder, and the guy gets thrown out at, at home base. And my, <laughs> so my dad... You know, and this is one of those wide-eyed moments. I'm maybe 10 or whatever. My dad, you know, yells, don't do it again, Moose. And he turns around and he gives my dad the thumbs up sign. <laughs> and, he, and he salutes him and turns around. And I'm like, wow, he heard. <laughs> I had a voice, obviously, good enough to get out there. But I said, Moose, don't ever do that again. That was ridiculous. And he just turned around and just he, he knew damn well he screwed up. It was really funny. <laughs> the yeah. guy was out by three feet. And he, I said, Moose, hold him on the base next time. <laughs> It was great. <laughs> you, you could never embarrass Moose. In fact, one time, I think it was in the series when he was doing third base for the Angels. Right. It's still, you could probably YouTube it. It's still uh, very famous when Bobby Gritch was coming to third. And Moose gave him the sign to either slide or stand. He gave him each one. One hand was going down and the other hand was going up. And the look on Gritch's face like, what do I do? <laughs> That's awesome. All right. I don't know. I don't know if you knew this, but Moose passed away this last year. Oh, oh no, did he really? Did wow. We were wondering yeah, about it. Okay. Just, just a few months ago. What's his heart? He, uh, How old was he, would, would you guess? Moose was like 83 or something Oh, like no that. kidding. Wow. wow. Yeah, he had a hip replaced and got an infection and passed away. Oh, shoot. And I don't know if you knew this back when you were talking about watching him with the goals. Did you know that he lived in the, down under like – like left field in in uh, Dirk's field at the time. He did. He did? Oh, he, no. He, he in one of those those uh, storage areas. He fixed the place where he had a bed and everything, and and he lived there. And and then in the back of the Saber Club, he was he's lived on the back of that couch a lot. <laughs> yeah, I believe that. I believe totally believe that. So he was the triple A version of Rick Majerus in a way. I guess <laughs> yeah. a lot less. Uh, was, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Wow. I, I, is it safe to say there was no offspring for Moose? Is that a reasonable assessment, or is that, or do we not know? No, he has a family. And, Did he really? Uh, yeah, he had a son, uh, and I don't know what's ever happened. It was a young man named Scott. But uh, one thing you probably didn't know about Moose, too, is he is in the history books where he is the only person in history to go 0-10 in the major leagues. Really? First, as a player, Moose got up to bat twice and in his entire career. He was a big first baseman and, um, and with, made two outs. And then at the end of one season, and I'm trying to remember who the uh, manager was, the manager from, from the Angels was, was fired, and Moose took over as the interim manager the last eight games of the season, and they lost every game. Wow. <laughs> So Moose is a major league, either a manager or player, was 0 for 10. Oh. <laughs> so it's a dubious, it's a dubious yeah. only, yes. Yeah. He would come in at games, and I, I don't mean to jump around on this, I apologize, but nonetheless, I remember he would he would come in and he would throw up signals that were absolutely unbelievably invisible. <laughs> he would throw his fingers up and immediately pull them back down, and we're all going, who the hell got the foul? Come on. And especially me. I mean, I've got to get back out there with it. And both coaches are waiting for somebody to be at a with a foul. And there was more than one time I said, Moose, 
what is the number? Come on. <laughs> and then he, he would turn around and he'd, if, you know, almost be expected to see his middle finger instead of the number, but <laughs> the end result was the number. And that happened many, many times because he was so quick and he knew what he was calling, but communicating that to us poor devils on the scoring table, that didn't happen. His, his mechanics was terrible, but I will tell you this. And and he looked terrible, you know. Oh, that's big, exactly yeah, right. Huge, like it looked like he swallowed a basketball. <laughs> he he could never get hired today. Uh, oh, there's no, no way, no. But back when he was refereeing, he had so much respect from the uh, from the coaches, and and he, you know, whatever Moose did was okay. They loved to see him come in the gym. Uh, as you know, as a young kind of rookie, most of the time with with Moose, I'd look over and. He'd be sitting across the the floor before the game, and he'd have one arm around each one of the coaches, both teams, and uh, like Don Haskins and and Dave Bliss from New Mexico, right. and, and they'd be and they'd be shooting the ball about baseball. They love to have Moose come and ask him all about spring training, and you know, tell me about Reggie Jackson wow. and all this stuff. So you know, you were invisible when you were with Moose, and the and the coaches loved him. I've got one last story about him that uh, one time he was in a huge game and it was like a UTEP New Mexico game. And in the first two minutes, the, both the stud players from each one of the team gets in a fight, fist fight. Oh. And, you know, they're both gone. Now you've got 18 and a half thousand people who came to see these two guys and everything. <laughs> and they're gone in the first two minutes. So Moose calls the gets both coaches together and he says, guys, uh, I don't want to throw these guys out said what would you say if you if both of you take each one of them out and put them in the penalty box for five minutes and then we'll go on after that <laughs> and needless to say both coaches said great and so they did and the, it worked out perfect the game went well moose got away with that wow about about five or six years later there was a kid out of Idaho that tried the same thing in a big sky game. Thought it was, hey, Moose did it. Worked out great. He was fired by the next morning. Wow. Really? So, <clears throat> you know, a Moose couldn't do that today, but he could do it then. So, how much, how much does a referee's personality go into having an effective game uh, at season and career? Like, a how much of their ability to to interact with coaches and players is that is, is a part of the the requirement or the the successful requirement for an official? I would say, uh, without a doubt, it's a hundred percent. Really, it's it's all in communication. You can get every, anybody around can study the rule book and and know what rules and everything else. But it's in communicating with the coaches, communicating with the, the fans, communicating with the book and the score table, this kind of thing. Uh, and and the coaches, uh, that's what it's what it's all about. In fact, college refereeing, I don't think it's as much on the, the NBA, uh, but college, they tried to make everybody do the exact same thing. They tried to make everybody robotic. They wanted the referee in Sacramento, California, to be calling the same game as in Hartford, Connecticut, and look the same. And they even had a few rules a few years ago that you would not be able to talk to the coach no matter what. 
And I mean, they'd, they'd threaten you. They'd have meetings and at the first of the year and say, you talk to the coach, we'll, you know, you will no longer be working. Really? And college, college referees, there's no contract. You're an independent contractor. Really? Is that right? Wow. No, you have, you have nothing. You could referee a game one night and get a phone call in the morning and your career is done. So is that still the same so, today? Yes, it is. They don't have contracts. Wow. There's no union or anything. So anyway, uh, and we found out that when you couldn't talk to the coaches, it not only it just kind of ruined the game because the coaches want to talk to you too. And in more uh, ways than so, one, too. It's not exactly <laughs> friendly all the time. Absolutely. But you know what? They've got to have their say. Everybody has to let off their their steam, you know. If you so anyway, uh, the answer to your question is is it's a hundred percent personality. And you know, we're we're all performing our same act out on the stage and we're trying to get everybody to buy the act that we're trying to sell right and so anyway so along those lines brent of of selling or you talked about earlier selling a call or or, and 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 communicating so correlating when you see or not uh, to me in, in the modern game uh chris paul is the most offensive when it comes to vociferously in in challenging every single call as if and i get that you know nba players have ginormous egos that they you know they they have to carry themselves at a level that that we really can't comprehend but it seems that players like chris paul take it to a level that seems overly disrespectful and so when you're talking about players being able to blow off steam how do like when you see someone like chris paul doing that in a game how does that make you feel as as an official and then what is the the correct balance how do you how do you determine what a player when they're blowing off steam or being completely disrespectful and trying to control the game through their attitude uh i think you have to communicate with them you know and and let them know that uh you know when when you've maybe made a weak call on them or whether it's a strong call you know like hey you know i'll listen to you on that one that was a little bit uh that was a little bit iffy on that one, but then the next time you say, wait a second, that was dead on, you know, that kind of thing. And so you start having a rapport with them that you're seeing the same thing that they're seeing and you would have empathy for them. But, uh, yeah, you know, also too, if you get somebody that's crying all the time, it's just like in your normal walk of life, no matter what you do or anything, but if you have a problem, you try to eliminate it. And, and so if somebody's giving you a hard time, all the time and and it's not warranted if there's anything close you know which way it's going to go uh, sure so it's just human nature like there you can't get that out of the game no matter what you're going to do so is it i mean it, college and pro are very different with what players are able to do in that regard is that is that correct oh absolutely in fact i'd be uh, i'll say this i think that the the, the Professional officials are the best officials in the world. They have it. They referee the best players, and they're the best officials in the world. There's no, there's no question in, in my mind. Uh, that, of course, but, is a debatable uh, statement. You realize that? Yeah, <laughs> you know. And, and listening to your podcast too, I've been hearing this and every. One thing I want to say is that officials do so much better job than people realize. And here is the kicker. If you don't care who wins a game, the officials 
are really, really good. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's fair. That. That's very it, fair. Yeah, I wouldn't it, argue that. It doesn't matter if <laughs> officials don't do a poor job and still, until you care who wins. And when that happens, then all objectivity goes out. And, and I find this in, even when I'm watching a game. If I care who's winning the game, I'm more critical on officials. But if I don't, if I don't care, boy, they're pretty darn good. So how do you, uh, so with your expertise, Brent, how do you determine uh, when you're watching a game and, and you're be, you're able to be 100% objective, how do you assess a, a referee's skill set, whether or not they're doing a good or bad job? Well, I was, let me go back to the officials. The NBA officials are, are the best in the world, but they also are in a different game too. Okay. It, it's not, uh, you know, only just uh, the teams out there playing for old good old uh, University of Utah or BYU or anywhere else. You know, this is big business. Right. And it's big business where you've got fans that are coming to see your games in your field, in your arenas, what, 42 times a year? Yeah. Is that? That's minimal. 42. Plus, uh, plus preseason and uh, postseason, hopefully. Right. Ex- exactly. And they're making a big financial commitment and everything else. And and um, it's an entertainment business. You can't take that away. And so you've got to, in the back of your mind, besides doing a game, you've got to keep in mind that, that the people don't want to come and watch a free throw shooting contest all night. <laughs> no, that's absolutely yeah. accurate. So you've got to keep those kind of things in mind and figure out a way to keep a game going and flowing, that it's that it's fun to watch, fun to play in. Uh, and and you could there's some games that you can't help. You know, there's some games that are just terrible and you draw a bad bull. But but boy, there's other games that just get out of the way and let them play. And no matter what they say or do, let them go. And um, and that it's a good game for everybody. Do you believe in make goods? No, I don't. But. Um, that happens look, to me. That happens frequently, and and I, I, I'm not going to contest your devout way of, of of explaining what's going on here. But I see it. I've seen it in in the 40 years around here doing this. I've seen this happen periodically, where one thing will go one way, and then and and, and they get totally reamed by the uh, particular coach, and then I've seen it come back another way just to balance and i i i and I, I know that may or may not be conscious but i i i sure seems unfortunately i've yeah. seen that yeah I, I know what you're saying and i i don't think if a good official a good official will not that now if you have a, a official that's not a, a top official yeah they can be influenced more more and more by by that but I think, you know, you just have to use some common sense. Back to where I uh, was going a minute ago. Let's say you look up at the, the scoreboard and the fouls are like eight to zero. Right. Now, you're not going to go out and manufacture a call. No, but I get I'm, that. But if you're a good official, you might be looking real hard to find one. Okay. You, does that make any sense? Yeah. You're going to make sure. one up. That's, a, that's an acceptable compromise, in my opinion. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, that's definitely, I, I get what you're saying there. No question. And and, and when it comes to being inf- influenced in, by crowds and coaches, I know when, when Jeremy talked to me about coming on here a while back, he, he said, you probably have some stories about Jimmy Clark. And, 
And Jimmy Clark was a great official and had a big, long career in the NBA. And you all know Jimmy. I liked him very much. He was a good guy. And a good official. And and I remember that when I was a rookie and he was telling us the code that we used to live by was you you had to give the visitors a chance. Now, think about that a second. Hmm. If you were going to be a good official, you know, a, a terrible official would go, and if he, if he had the home team win every game, you know, homer the hell out of somebody, you're going to have a career that's going to last you maybe two years, and you won't get in any trouble. But it'll never last more than about two years because these same coaches that you're homering, you're going to see them on the road someplace. Right, yeah, precisely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly and, right. And so when when a if a coach comes out and, and just rips you big time and you immediately go and cave and, and have a makeup call, uh, that coach right there, if, now when the a coach at the other end comes and hollers at you, guess what he's thinking? And you lose all kinds of respect. Um, in fact, Jimmy, Jimmy Clark had so much respect that, that Don Haskins said, I'll take Jimmy on the road anytime, but I don't want him at home. Really? Wow. Yeah. Uh, was, okay. I think that's the, the best compliment a, a coach could ever give a referee. Sure, because that's that's I his want. most optimal chance to win a road game because uh, the, the game, that, yeah. <laughs> says that that referee has courage. You're, uh, you're sparking my dull memory here, but I remember after our uh, last Chicago uh, championship series, when uh, Dick Bavetta ruled against a perfectly good three-point shot. Howard Isley. Yeah. Yeah. Howard Isley sank it, and I've talked to Howard a couple of times. He coaches, bless his I think he's with the Knicks still, if I'm not mistaken, who are coming in Saturday. But um, Bavetta missed a call that was blatant. And, I mean, the place just went, of course, meltdown, just went crazy. And Sloan, I thought he was going to undress him right there on the spot. But... The, the interesting thing that happened at the start of the season, next season, he was one of the first officials that we had in. He made a point of going over to Coach Sloan and that time apologizing for his call. And so it justified all the anger that was there. But at the same time, he sucked it up and uh, he did apologize. And, and Jerry probably told him to, you know, <laughs> no, eat I think, crap and die. No, I don't basically. think he did. I heard the same. <laughs> I, at the time, I think he did. But, you know, I think in Brent, you, you pointed it out earlier. Our our vision is certainly clouded as fans. There's no doubt. And it's, I think, impossible to be objective when you're passionately involved with the team. That's the great thing about sports in in entertainment you know that's what makes it fun and i i think that coaches and players have a, a different perspective probably closer to a lot closer to your perspective on the job that officials do but i, I it's interesting now because it, it seems that the the player's ability to be demonstrative is is taken another step and so when you see that it's difficult to be any kind of objective as a fan because you're seeing players go off the rails and so that it's like it gives you uh it gives you permission by proxy to do the same thing and it's hard to understand that what you know what they're seeing how difficult it is to make the calls that they make because it's you know it's way beyond the the you know pickup (laughs) but you know the pickup games that all of us play 
and and thinking that we know the rules that there are rules at a whole different level that we can't even begin to comprehend that you know that that is really the basis of whether or not these officials do a great job right well the game's nothing it has evolved to a point that it is nothing like the what was ever intended and years ago it is uh, you know i'm i'm kind of a purist uh, like for instance one one thing that i hate to see is that stupid little arc that they have in front of the uh, in front of the hoop or the restricted area the, right yeah right restricted area <laughs> now see I, I i used to do golf rules and golf rules are just so darn good and they're redoing them but but there's a reason behind everything and i used to say i wish the golf people would rewrite the rules for basketball and it would make it so much better but one of the fundamental rules in in basketball was was that if whoever got to a spot first and had it established that they could have right nobody and that was in the, the game forever. And then what happened is then you'd get a little guard that'd stand directly under the basket, and the guy would come in and dunk it and come down and land on top of him. And the play was over. It meant nothing, but the little guy was getting smashed. And so it looked ugly, so they said, we it's a, instead of no calling it, we'll just make that arc. And so now in that restricted zone, you get a guy that's planted there for five minutes, and if he's and if he's touching that arc and gets plowed over by a guy out of control, it's a block, and it just drives me crazy. <laughs> and and that's that's what they're trying to do is they're trying to take out the the individuality. They don't think that every official can make that same call and have the same judgment, so they try to make it so there's no judgment involved there, and that. And I don't think you can take judgment out of refereeing. That's isn't that the point of of officiating? I mean, if the game's so fast, which it is, and it will continue to get faster, you have to have you have to use judgment. I mean, it's impossible to have it be clear cut like it is in golf. You know, that's a great great correlation. Uh, It's impossible to referee a basketball game. The size and strength and speed and everything. Now it's getting more impossible by the day. So what are things that that you observe to correlate it? So you brought up one in the restricted area. Um, Let's talk about a couple of specific things because, uh, you know, locally in in Utah, Rudy Gobert was very uh, vocal about there being favoritism um, of favoring elite players. So let's talk. I want to talk about that first, and then I'm going to go into some specific uh, rules because that's how they they correlate with the elite players. So first, do you feel that there it, because that there is uh, that there are opinions that the opinions can be swayed because of elite players playing an entertainment game? This is this has always been a hot topic, hasn't it? Yeah, you, you it has. Wonder, you wonder if the officials ever uh, ever get. Uh, messages, whether it be subliminal or not, that, you know, you've got to protect those A, a players. And again, I think this just it comes down almost like human nature that, you know, you get LeBron James going to the bucket hard and, and the world's strongest man and his off off arm is going to take out, take out uh, Gobert and, and lay it up. And if there's going to be a foul, it's going to be on the defense. You know, it's just the way they get, it's a performance art and, Again, you're it's just by human nature. You're going to keep those studs in the game. 
So in the same way, in the same way, are rookies then doomed because they just don't know as much as veterans just by the nature of what they do, who they are? I think I think so. And I think that's in every sport at every level. I think rookies have to pay their dues. And I think they understand that. Is that what you find that in, you know, even in baseball and football? You know, the rookies are always the guys that have to carry the equipment to the team bus. Oh, yeah, yeah, like absolutely. That. And the same thing's going to happen on the floor. They're not going to get instant respect. Just just like the coaches don't get in, in, instant respect when you're a new coach and a referee who doesn't get in. You know, you have to earn those kind of things. And that's, Dad, I, I hear you talk about that all the time, actually, when you see players come in. Because you have the best seat in the house and you have, you make great observations about what you see because of your your experience seeing it and i don't know if you notice it but you, you make that same kind of call you know that that player hasn't earned it yet yeah oh I, I i get that totally i remember kobe bryant i mean he he got beat up his first two first two years then he stepped out and that all that calmed down but uh, the i think to a certain extent and and i won't you know i don't want to I don't want to make you feel that I'm not supporting you, but I think officials. He's used to that. I mean, I think, coaches. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> I think officials will um, hone in on rookies just to get them used to the way they should be. And I, I've, I've seen that quite a bit relative to uh, brand new guys, brand new kids that are, I mean, really good players, but they still get calls on them and um, they have to learn to adjust. And, and it, it's just a, it's part of the process of being a pro player, in my opinion. No, I, I agree with you totally on that. You have to earn that respect as a rookie. And uh, yeah, the officials, the officials will do that. You're not going to give them the same break. You're not going to listen, take any crap from a rookie that you'd hear from Chris Paul or anything. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Absolutely. So you have to, you have to earn that. I, I, great point. That is a great point. So on on specific rules, um, the hot topic this year is the the freedom of movement. So not being able to use real uh, much physical as much physicality as defenses used to, especially if you correlate back. Everyone wants to say the good old days of the the nineties, for example. You know the bad with, with boys, Carl John. Carl John or. Uh, Jordan, you know, people forget what an amazing defensive player Michael Jordan was. He was in, in oh, an incredible defensive player. And a lot of that was because of, of how physical he could be, how incredibly strong he, he was. Um, so do you, from a basketball purist perspective, have those rules, do you think it makes the game better or worse? I really think that, that they give too much leeway to the offense. I, I really do. The, it, I agree. And that's, but again, people don't pay those, those ticket prices to come and see a game. That's uh that's 52 to 48. They want to see <laughs> <Right>. that. <laughs> they don't, come, they don't pay to see the four corner stall. Right? <laughs> Ex- exactly. The game has changed so much since they put in the three point play. And that, you know, back in the old days, the, the big guys, they could never get out from underneath the hoop. They had to stay down, down low. And, if a big guy ever took a shot outside, he was on the bench. And now you got, you know, Dirkowitzki. Right. And and so the game has changed so much, but it's changed. So it's strictly an offensive game. It's, uh, did you see that happening, we, Brent? Like, did you, as you were officiating, as you got further along in your career or towards the end of your career, did you see that, like, it, did it happen quickly or did it, was it was it a subtle thing, even, you know, even in the college game? 
Well, I think it's it's evolving mainly because of the uh, the pros and the and the NBA game, and the you know you I've been listening to you talking. I've seen all this stuff with the AAU teams and everything. Right. The AAU teams they emulate the pro game. You know, it's it's all offense. There is no defense played there or anything else. And, Correct. And so I think it's changed all the games all the way down down the line because you know everybody wants to to jam or th- shoot threes. Go to the hoop. The fact remains, however, and you'll hear coaches say this and talk about this. And I remember uh, Coach Jerry all the time. And I think Quinn, even to today, you got a defense going on. You'll you'll score, and you'll you will, and, and you you stop them from scoring. It encourages you to score. So defense isn't out of the game, but you're right. Offense is what makes everybody pay enormous amounts of money to sit there, eat popcorn, and occasionally have a, a $10, $12 beer and go from there. So the uh, I still – I and, again, I'm not disputing the two of your point, I guarantee you. The, the end result – It's okay. We can disagree. We can agree to disagree and we move can agree. on. Yeah. It's harmonious, Dan. But the end result of uh, – of, of consistent good defensive play and last night we did that to portland i mean lillard and mccollum we, we 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 stopped them and we did very well and ended up you know running away from portland without too much of a problem so defense has still got to be there and 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 again i'm not disputing what you just said about offense though absolutely not i guarantee you that's that's that makes everybody smile, but it's fun to watch defense every now and then. Wouldn't you say that the teams that are going to, going to make the playoffs and everything, unless they've got outstanding, you know, way further um, offensive uh, ability like the Warriors have had in the last few years, that the rest of those teams are going to be getting there because they play better defense. Yes, sir. Because they yes. can all play play offense. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Sure. I completely agree. I completely agree. So – uh, and to switch gears and go to a, a ambiance question. So, uh, arenas that that you visited throughout your career, um, what are two or three of the most memorable? And I'm going to throw one out. You know, the the I never went there, but the pit in Albuquerque always seemed like yeah. like an a, a just an incredibly crazy atmosphere uh, for basketball. Yeah. yeah, it's by far, and I bet you every one of us that uh, refereed that. Uh, in this conference and that would say the same thing. The pit was, was something else because it was um, New Mexico had nothing else. They don't have any pro <laughs> team or anything else. And so, so the Lobos was everything. And they, they had 18,200 and, and they came all the way down with bleacher seats right to the floor. And so it was, it was the best place in the world to referee. We had a preseason and, game there once and I didn't realize what the pit actually meant till I walked down that uh, brick path, that brick uh, yep. road yep. on a forty-five degree angle and had to hold on to rails so I wouldn't slip and fall down all the way to the court. <laughs> but that place was—I mean, we—I—I I, we didn't win the game. It was—it was superfluous. It was just kind of a courtesy thing to be there. But I've never witnessed a, a hole in the ground that held people <laughs> like that. It was really quite amazing. First game I refereed there. Uh, there the uh, the lead on our crew told me says hey rook he says don't leave it on the floor all on the floor save enough for the ramp after <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, I, and i've I, been chased up that ramp before too no, have I, you really yeah you've been chased like by the fans no by coach by coach really wow yeah uh roger reed uh, 
chased me up that uh, ramp one night, but he had worse hips than I had. I was going to say, you probably beat him to the top without too much of a problem. Yeah. But the fit was an interesting building, though, because on the outside, it looked like a warehouse, a one-story one warehouse. Yes, precisely. It? Wow. And then it just went nothing but down by the time you walked in. Yeah. So the pit was always a great place to play. Uh, Laramie. What about Laramie, Wyoming? Laramie was a hard place to get to. That was the worst thing about Laramie. Our league was a hard league for travel. Um, I used to have to go to Hawaii, and and they'd send you over there a couple of years or a couple of times each year. And people and I'd say I have to go to Hawaii, and they'd say, "Wait a second, you've got to go." And I said, "Yeah." <laughs> there was one time I flew to Hawaii. Took an afternoon or a, like a late morning flight, 11 o'clock flight, landed about three, went to the gym, refereed the game, got on the 1030 red eye back. So Whoa. I was on the ground, ground in Hawaii for about eight hours, you know, that kind of thing. It was a hard trip. I would rather go to, to Laramie, Wyoming than to, to Honolulu. But wow. Now that's to referee. You know, if it was a vacation, that's a different story. No, it was a, it was a hard travel league because you had weather and you had different places to go. So the the arenas were fine, but the the pit was the best. Pit was the best. Um, yeah. A, a couple of your your biggest games, like it, it, that. Let's say, let's uh, segregate it. So a couple of your biggest games, and then a couple of the most memorable, uh, one or two of your most memorable games. Oh gosh. I can remember one night in, in um, I, had, I got in trouble with, with Haskins down in UTEP. And it really wasn't even a call on mine, but, but he, he got upset and came on the floor, and I had to, to hit him with a tee, and, and it got really ugly. And, and unfortunately, I was back two or three weeks later, and he was still seething. <laughs> Whoa. And, and and he had already had one technical, not by by me on that one. But I'm just an innocent bystander underneath the basket on a free throw, and one of his kids falls into the lane before the shot. And so you know, you're going to shoot a free throw over if it misses, and it had to miss. <laughs> oh, so no. I have to make the call, and here he comes, right out in the middle of the floor. So now I've got to hit him with the tee, and that's his second one. So he's now thrown out of his own gym. <laughs> and that was memorable, and it was not much fun. No, I get and, that oh. totally, especially with him. You know, a lot of people, they talk about when you'd see him at cocktail parties and that, say, they always ask you, did you give him a technical, and did you give him a technical? And, <laughs> and, and you, what you want to tell people is when you're given technicals, things are not going well for you. Right. Yeah, you no know? question. Yeah. And so uh, you want to be as, um, you know, as inconspicuous as possible. It's just short of being armed, basically, would be my my sentiments. Yeah, I mean, do you do you get like physically anxious or nervous when when I mean he's nicknamed the bear for a reason, right? And so, yeah, I mean, it, and I know you can't show it, but like, how do you are you do you get training on how to try to control yourself in that situation? Uh, no, you, here again, that's all that communication and your own personality and everything else. Okay. There's not much you can do. There's no. It's really hard to explain that I can remember times at at, um, at the pit and you'd be standing out there and you'd made a, a call and there'd be 18,000 people giving you a standing boo. And, the, and of course, then there's a, there's a TV timeout. So you have to stand in the middle of the floor for three minutes and they're, they're standing booing you all at one time. 
Wow. And it's hard it's hard to explain to people that when you know that you've got that it was the right call and, and that you had the balls to do it and everything, it's almost like a high. It's Interesting. Like, oh, I get yeah, that. Totally. Yeah. I totally get that. It's, it's like, I can't <laughs> believe that there's 18 of you that are wrong and I'm the only one that's right. <laughs> so I, I can see, I, I kind of can see you, Brent, sitting there with your arms folded and you've got this smug look in your face. That's Did that exactly happen? Right. Oh, absolutely. That good. But you know, the corollary is, though, every once in a while, they're right. You know, you'll kick a call and there's no doubt about it. We all do it. And then there's no place to hide. You are laid and bare. You're laid bare, and you can never let them see you sweat. You <laughs> still got to be there with your arms folded, just like before. But it it happens. Oh, that's awesome. No, that's a. I, and I hadn't thought about that, but the, the there is no way to to really to to convey that. I mean, I, I you know, I, I in announcing, you're always announcing something positive. So you're. I mean, the worst is a bad game, you know, so you're not you don't have 18,000 people booing you. You're you're right. inciting. You're not inciting, but, you know, you're helping 18,000 people to be upset. Yeah, to be upset. I mean, <laughs> unfortunately, you're, you know, as an announcer, you're kind of egging them on to maybe boo the guy. <laughs> and so uh, and see that that's why football officials have it so darn easy. You know, football officials, they just go out there and they've got a hat on. They're 50 yards away from the nearest fan. Right. They stand around. They don't do anything until there's a long run. They throw their flag and call holding. Yeah. And, yes. <laughs> if and they want. That's yes. all there is to it. I don't know. And, and in basketball, you're out there and, boy, you know, you're you're just bare naked out in front of everybody. You, there's no place to hide. I, I've been dying to ask you, did you ever do a game in the Huntsman Center? Oh, yes. You know what? Uh, I have a degree from the University of Utah, my master's, and so I could never do a, a league game or a regular counting game at uh, at Utah, and uh, but I would always do their preseason games and the when the foreign teams and that came in. When was that? I mean, what years? Do you remember? Well, well, I did them all the way from like uh, let's see, I got in the the league in '83 through 2001. So for those 18 years, I usually did preseason games. Well, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Okay, I was just wondering if you and I ever crossed paths because I was I was. I did the final four in 79 and then the jazz were in and I had a good enough resume to move on. So I was just wondering if you and I, cause I did cross paths with moose as I told you, yeah. but I don't, right. I guess I was just wondering if I had the, the, the distinct pleasure of being around you for goodness sakes. You, you might've, but it was always those games with like Yugoslavia or, yeah. or somebody like that, you know, but you could do the Marriott center down at BYU, right? Yeah, I had no degree uh, from there. So I'm yeah, happy that that's good. Know. I'm happy to hear that. That's I'm finally an official with a proper education. That's yes. good. I like that. <laughs> well, it, it was one of those. If you want to hear a you know, pretty good story, one time uh, at the university, at the Huntsman. And uh, when they bring in, and we used to referee three referees all the time. And back in those days, we were probably only making about $350, $400 a game. And and so they bring in somebody like like Yugoslavia or, or Australia, and they wouldn't have a very big crowd, so they'd want to save money. So they'd say, we're only going to get two officials for this game. So I was working one of those games, and, and if you know the mechanics of officiating, with three officials, you never look at the same place. You divide the floor up. and right. and, and so now when there's two, 
Well, there's there's a place on the floor that that's not very well uh, guarded if you're not used to watching it. So this this one play, I'm underneath the basket, and there's another official, uh, Dick Dick Ball, Richard Ball. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. you bet. You you know him. Knew him very well. You bet. On the table for years. Yes. A great official. And so we're working this game, and I'm under the basket, and he's outside. And, and so I should have had the line that's in front of the basket and the sideline opposite the, the floor. But there's usually an official over there, but there wasn't on this game because we only had two. And I'd forgotten that, and I'm working like crazy. I'm watching under the basket and everything. And all of a sudden, the crowd gets real quiet, and I look around, and the ball is in the back court, and there's about four guys around it, two from each team, and they're just kind of – they won't pick it up. They don't do anything. They're, they're just looking at it like it's going to explode, like it's a bomb or something. And finally, uh, Richard Ball, he, he, I, the place is quiet, and I hear him yell, pick the son of a bitch up. <laughs> and, and so a Utah kid picks it up, and they go on with the play. And, and the next day I go to school, I was teaching at Brighton High School, and I asked this one guy, a guy named Paul Jacobs, that's a big fan up there. I said, Jake, what happened on that play? Well, what happened is there was a pass that went out of bounds on that side, and neither Dick nor I saw it. <laughs> and, it went, and it went directly to a cheerleader, and the cheerleader didn't know what to do with it, so she threw it back on the floor back in the back court oh. so all the players oh. saw that it had been still like right. didn't know what to do so there's all these people in the huntsman center we're the only two people that doesn't know where <laughs> wow that's awesome that's very cool <laughs> that's such a great story wow that's, that's a did, great story too bad you couldn't see that on tv right i mean the, the to, oh, yeah yeah to go they back did. and watch it <laughs> that'd yeah. be replay material for sure that that would have been uh, Sports Center top ten potentially at that point. <laughs> right. So what what are a couple of uh, memorable games? Like uh, uh, what are a couple of the uh, quote unquote biggest games that you ever did? I got to do a national championship game once in uh, Springfield, Mass. That was the Division Two championship, and it was uh, Kentucky Wesleyan and Gannon, and uh, Kentucky Wesleyan was coached by oh what was the kids from kentucky that was the great shooter uh rex rex chapman, chapman. Oh, yeah yeah his, yeah his dad was the coach at kentucky wesleyan and so that was kind of nice to do the national championship game for that back there so yeah and there were and there were a lot of a lot of uh whack tournament games those kind of things uh always the you know around here it was the utah byu game and i could never do those so if you you really made it, then you got to do UTEP in New Mexico. That was the battle down there, or, or Wyoming and Colorado State. Those were all brutal battles. Yeah. So they, they were all really good games to do. But, of course, I never could do a Utah-BYU game. And, the, and good basketball. I mean, that, that's, uh, oh. that was really good basketball. Okay, here's another thing people don't realize. The higher you go up and the better the players, the easier it is to officiate. And the better the game, the easier it is to officiate. Well, that makes sense. If, you, if you've got a game that's a that's a, a clinker, like a, a jazz game might be 100 to, to 70 or something like that, trust me, nobody wants to be there. 
the officials don't want it. The players don't want mm-hmm. it. It's awful game. And you just, on those kind of games, it's like you're sitting on a powder keg because usually there's going to be something that happens that's a non-basketball play that you don't want. But when you've got that really good game, that game that's going to overtime or, or you know, they're really working hard and playing great D and everything else, it's a piece of cake because they're, they're, it's so intense. The players play better. I think you see better. The coaches coach better. Those, those games are really, really fun to work. That's a great point. That's a, uh, and, and I think, as a, again, as a fan, when you see a good game, it's, it, you can appreciate the battle, uh, but you, yeah. but it, you don't think about, the again, the human side of an official, what they're experiencing at that point. And I think that's in, in this whole debate of favoritism, whether or not great players get the good calls at, at, and whether or not the NBA is tainted or whatever, you know, it's, I think that that's lost that the the better the basketball is, the better the officiating is going to be and the better that everything is, everything is out of, out of, sure. out of that product. And it, you know, this is, this has been really um, reve- uh, revealing in, in, a, in a great way for me to that the, a lot of the points that, that you've made Brent about, just the, the the way that officials look at the game because you can think of it as a fan, but you, it doesn't register. It just doesn't register at all. And I think it's when people talk about the the officials being human. It's as a fan. I think when we talk about that, honestly, it's lip service. It's not uh, there is there isn't any empathy. So that's where a lot of the of the comments that officials get come from. In addition to that. You could not go into our crowd of 18,400 and find 10 people who could do what you do. No there question. wouldn't be a soul that would have the guts to walk out on the floor with those large human beings that are very, very highly paid and sit there and tell them that they're wrong with what they just did with the basketball or stepping or blah, blah, blah. It just, you would never, I mean, but... At the same time, those 18,000 can stand there and just throw crap on you guys because of the fact that they think they know the answers. It's really a, it's an amazing contradiction because if you asked, you, come on, you go ahead and officiate. the. They, I'm sorry, they well, crap their pants. That'd yeah. be the end of it right there on the spot. Yeah, and, and you know, again, going back to this, I think uh, we as officials, we understand that. We understand that they they couldn't do what we're doing and we understand what we're doing and so going back to that when you're getting the standing boo you know like like at the end of a game and it's it's going to go overtime or there's three seconds left and you're going to have to come up with that big call and there's a timeout and the officials are getting together uh you know i don't know what the crowd's thinking you know that you're saying but there's a lot of times and it's true you might be saying you know okay uh, uh you got the after the game, you get the rental car and let's go to so-and-so's for dinner. You know, kind of <laughs> and I need yeah. a drink right now. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know? So I, I don't think, I think the fans think they get to officials a lot more than they really do. Yeah, that's true. That's a great point. Yeah. I mean, I've seen officials cover up a yawn when there's the booze coming at them. I've seen that happen a couple of times. Leon Wood, who is a, very, a good guy, very, very heads up. He played he played in the game, and he came up. He was just walking over to us one. He had to stifle a yawn. And the booze were, I mean, I, I had to cover my ears. It was so loud. It was unbelievable. Yeah. 
He could have given yeah. the crap less. <laughs> yep. Uh, you have to. And I mean, I, no, it, he it, took a he. Yeah. he'd made a good call. I mean, he took a stand on the fact that he knew what he just what he was saying, and the crowd, of course, disagreed vehemently. Well, and and to take Brent, what you were saying earlier, and I, it's a great correlation to me. Making a great call and being able to sit there and and have that high of everybody booing, I don't think is any is very similar to a player hitting a free throw and shutting up the crowd or nailing a three and shutting up the crowd and right i i honestly hadn't thought about that no that's brand new for me too yeah. and i think that's very cool that's a, a great way to uh, look that at humanizes it. you guys you know what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> well I, um we're coming up on our time here brent but uh this is uh, exactly what i was uh hoping for in, in setting this up i mean it's uh it it's really brought a lot of perspective to um the the humanity the human side i don't want to say humanity but just the the human side of officiating and it, it's it's been great it's been great to you brought some really great points into this that uh, i'd never thought about and really you are a it, voice yeah. behind the game too by golly and that's <laughs> yeah. that's very officially, much appreciated officially yeah we'll, we'll be sending you your lapel pin uh, <laughs> from delta Taukai. yeah you know i will say that i was a little nervous i didn't know what was to be expected or what was going on. And, and I was listening to one of your, your uh, podcasts when Spence Checkups was on. And, yeah. and I, I lost all my nervousness when you guys got talking about the greatest rock bands. And somebody <laughs> said, somebody said, Billy Joel. And I said, Holy cow. Yeah, no, that, rock that's band? pretty much no, what I did. Yeah, too. It wasn't, it wasn't us. I, yeah. I mean, okay. <laughs> wasn't even close to us. <laughs> So I know. Are you? Uh, do you do you play golf every day or just like every other day? I mean, it, it's you have my. You have usually it, about three three times a week. Okay. Okay. And if it was seventy two today. Oh, Jesus. And uh, <sighs> a couple of days ago, you know, I'm, uh, it's I don't know why everybody doesn't live here. I don't have to shovel. <laughs> when I tell people when they say talk about the heat, because you live in in the Phoenix area. Right. I, I, I correlate it to, you know, three, I can handle two and a half, three months of oppressive heat for nine months of great weather. That would, that, yeah. I, it's a great trade off in my book. That's I wouldn't argue exactly about it. So, oh, good. Well, you're a special person. Yeah. It's really, really neat to have you here with us. Yeah. It's nice to talk to you guys, and it's great to hear uh, your podcast. I get to hear what's going on in um, in Utah and, and uh, keep up the good work. We'll do. We'll do. Uh, you have a, a great remainder of the year and a happy new year, Brent. Thank you very much, guys. All right. Take care, Brent. So much. Take care. Bye now. Bye-bye. That was good. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.